Good morning. Good morning and welcome to everyone. Thankful for your presence here. I am thankful that you wanted to come together and celebrate God's good news. Amen? Amen and amen. I want to welcome those of you who are here in person. Thank you for being here. Again, we just see a few new... We have a first-time visitor today. Am I correct in saying that? All right, all right. I'll, I'll, I will not overwhelm her with anything, but we're really thankful to have Baby Foster here. Everybody, nice soft golf claps. We're so glad to have Baby Foster here today. If she cries, John, and you have to leave during the sermon, I'll know you pinched her. It's okay, all right. We also want to welcome those of you on YouTube, joining us on YouTube. We're thankful that you took the time to tune in today, to click on. We would ask that at some point during the service you might give us a like. And if you want to, you can even click the button to subscribe, and that would bring you back to this channel pretty frequently if you would choose to do that. We also want to be sure those of you who are newer or, again, if you just haven't done it yet, we have a texting service that we uh, try to communicate updates that go on in the congregation. It's been very handy during the last year, but it continues to be something that's helpful. If you will, te if you will text LJ Cup Date. Got it? Everybody say it with me. LJ Cup Date to 979-217-3300. You will be included in those updates. I can promise you one or two a week is about all that we're going to send out, and hopefully we won't overwhelm your inbox in that way. But it is our hope that we can get your attention and share good things with you. Uh, we would invite you to have a look at the caring and sharing. Again, there's a number of things in there that we're not going to be repeating from uh, the pulpit today. Uh, particularly, you'll have an opportunity to see a broader prayer list. And to have that on your phone digitally or to take a copy home with you can help you in that process as well. The caring and sharing will mention that we have our annual business meeting coming up immediately following your service. Everybody shouts, yes, annual business meeting. We're really excited about that. If you're online, you simply just stay on the live feed. We'll transition to the meeting as soon as we're done with the service. want to be sure and remind you that we are not passing trays for the Lord's Supper, so I hope that you already have your individual communion set. Uh, it's available in the foyer, and now would be the time to go get that if you don't have that with you. Also, we will not be passing a tray for uh, our giving. Uh, you know that there's a QR code on the screen. If you're new to us, you can click that, and it'll take you to an online donation portal. You can give in any way that you want to electronically, but we also want you to know that the box continues to be in the back, and you can place your gifts in the box. Whether that's cash or checks, you're welcome to place those gifts in the Giving Back to God box that you'll see right in the middle of the foyer. I want to be sure and remind you that we continue in April to be focusing our attention on our mission emphasis of Habitat for Humanity, particularly the Southern Brazoria chapter of that. As you head out the foyer, on the right-hand side at the Welcome Center, you'll find some information there that you might find helpful. Uh, we appreciate so much the people in our congregation that are involved in that, and we want you to keep you informed about this really wonderful uh, mission that goes on in the world. Also, just want to remind you that 9.30 is our opening doors to ministry for our adults, and that continues next week with fellowship, hospitality, and family matters, and I think you'll be blessed by one of those. So, before I hand off, Peter's got a special announcement for our youth refuel. Before I do that, I need to ask you a quick question. When people look in the online directory, is this the picture that they see of your family? Is this the picture they see of your family? Or maybe they see a picture of your family when 
uh, your grown children who have children of their own are actually these little, you know, ones sitting beside you, that kind of thing. Or maybe you're one of those people like me that your first picture was when you had lots of hair and now the people can't recognize you anymore. The online directory is a wonderful tool, but one of the things that makes it even more wonderful are when we can have an actual semi-current picture of you. Yes, you can send us a photo. Oftentimes, your little candid shots don't work quite as well as what we are able to capture here. We're really thankful that uh, Sandy Moore and Vicki Wonderlick have kind of taken over that ministry. We've got a new place in the Fellowship Center. You may have noticed it when you were in there. We're, we're the backdrop that we're going to get good pictures that kind of contrast, make it easy to see who you are. And next Sunday, April the 25th, if you want to come a little bit before class, they'll be set up to take pictures but particularly after services. Make your way as quick as you can over there. I know there'll be a long line, so you want to get there as quickly as you can. You're going to get to fellowship with people six feet apart with your mask on. You got the picture. But we're going to take your pictures after services next week as well, so help us out with that. Now, why don't you give a warm welcome to Peter Hunt, our youth minister. All right, thank you. Um, two weeks. That's all we have until our spiritual refuel weekend, two weeks. Um, in fact, this time in two weeks, we will be wrapping up. Um, so I want to ask you guys, if you are willing and able, I'll be at the uh, Welcome Center after worship um, with a sign-up sheet. Uh, we've got one family signed up to uh, host so far. We need more than that. If you're willing to open your homes, all they need is floor space. You don't even need to have beds. They're going to be bringing sleeping bags. Um, they're, they're prepared to be sleeping on the floor. Um, so if you have floor space, please, please, please open your homes, um, sign up, and let me know uh, whether you want guys, girls, if you don't care. Um, it will be one or the other. It will not be mixed. Um, and you'll, you'll have kids, uh, energized kids in your home. Uh, the only thing we ask is you provide breakfast on uh, Saturday and Sunday mornings. As a, a addition to, um, on the Friday night, Friday, oh, October, <laughs> April, that's this month, um, April the 30th, we are going to have entertainment. Uh, it's on the screen there. Um, I am not going to tell you what the entertainment is, but I will tell you, you will not want to miss it, okay? Um, we're bringing a professional in. Um, and he's going to use what he's um, able to do uh, with um, teaching the gospel and really just reaching us in a, a really unique way. So you do not want to miss it. Um, come Friday night, um, starting about 9.15 um, to about 10.30, and he will be up here, and you're going to want to be a part of it, I promise you. Uh, no charge. But I hope you can be here. Thank you. Thank you, Peter. And we, uh, we want to affirm, can you affirm the work that Peter's doing in getting ready for the Youth Re Refuel Re Retreat? <laughs> Stand with me, please, as we open our time of worship by singing from the Psalms. Psalm 96. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among
For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be revered above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Worship the Lord in holy splendor. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord is king. The world is firmly established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Come together and worship. You were despised, you were rejected, Lord, those who passed by, even averted their gaze from the side. Such was the suffering you bore for us. Led like a lamb, a lamb to the slaughter, you spoke not a word, but chose to be silent, though you did no wrong. Nor was deceitfulness found in you. Yet by your wounds our salvation has come. Yet by your suffering our freedom is won. For God has highly exalted your Such was the suffering you bore. 
time we have classes for our kids for uh, stage two limitless kids and praise kids can be dismissed ahead that way also right before communion do not forget to pick up your kids we did give away four puppies last week and uh so there's four left so uh, don't be the last parent to get there because then you get to pick up something extra so just a warning and i'll probably will tell y'all that again before we're done <laughs> oh master let me walk with Lord God, we come to you thanking you for the gifts you shower on us even in these times. We pray that you help us to see them and celebrate them and take them to our hearts and share them with others. Help us to be your people. Help us to serve you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good morning. I'll be reading from Romans 7, verses 14 through 20. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not do what I do not want to do. It is no longer I who do it, but it's sin living in me that does it. You need to affirm Caden Chacon. That's not an easy passage to read. Amen. And uh, we're not happy about what the passage says necessarily, but we are uh, thankful. I, uh, I, I just don't want to forget this, so forgive me for taking a quick break from the sermon. Uh, today is Don and Yvonne Glan's anniversary. Can y'all stand, please, back where you are? Uh, this is a great witness to steadfast love and caring for each other, and we're really thankful for them. I have a feeling every time that Don thinks that he's about to do the bad thing that he didn't really want to do, Yvonne grabs him and says, no, you're not. <laughs> I, just my guess. I don't know how that exactly works. I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want. That I keep on doing. The words from Romans chapter 7, in fact, the entire chapter, it's one of the longer chapters, one of the harder chapters to work our way through. To a certain extent, these words haunt us. We hear them. They ring in our ears. We probably can see ourselves in a situation where we express these same sort of things. I want to do this good. I want to be kinder. I want to be more gentle in my life. I want to stand for God's gospel. Amen? And just so often I find myself, when I get in that moment, things turn in a way that I don't intend for them to turn. I can remember as a teenager, headed to school, thinking, I'm going to get this right today. I'm not going to laugh at any of their dirty jokes. I'm going to walk away when the conversation becomes, and then you just kind of get sucked in, don't you? And we might say part of that was peer pressure. We're supposed to grow out of that. Isn't it interesting, the older we get, sometimes the more we realize we're not as much grown out of that as possible. But I want to affirm to you, and it is my goal in this sermon today, maybe not to give you a one, two, three, go do these things, but it is my goal today to try and frame chapter 7 the way that I believe Paul intended for you to hear it. Not as words that haunt us, but as a statement, as the sermon topic says, of the before picture, before we get to the after picture. Now I want to particularly confess to you, I am an old-fashioned kind of guy. Social media got started long after I was kind of set in my ways, and every once in a while I'll kind of step in that foray. And mostly what I do is I find somebody who's done something really neat and I just forward it, or I do a lot of saying thank you to people like Sandy, who actually makes me, good look, make me look good looking, and she'll post something about the church service, and I'll just say thank you, gives a thumbs up and things like that. So I'm really bad at this. And as bad as I am of the idea, before I start a project, you know this, don't you? 
You start a project at the house, right? You're going to fix something up. To really do it right in this day and time, what have you got to stop? Before you start doing anything, what have you got to stop and do? You have to take a picture. You have to take the before picture, right? This is what my daughter's about to do. We are on the ticking clock for a new grandbaby being born on Friday. Somebody say hallelujah. We're, we're excited about this. But, but make no mistakes, there's going to be a before picture and there's going to be a all oh, the after picture. But there's some folks that have really perfected the art of the before and the after. I probably don't need to introduce them to you, although I already show a little bit of my old-fashionedness because I know they're not the hippest thing anymore, but they're the ones that I know. You know Chip and Joanna Gaines from Waco, Texas. Everybody says, I didn't even know Waco, Texas existed before I met Chip and Joanna Gaines. And all the people who used to live in Waco before Chip and Joanna do not appreciate that their property taxes have increased twofold since Chip and Joanna and Fixer Upper went on to it. But they have perfected the art. Yes, they have perfected the art of the before and the after. I want to affirm to you there's a book that, that they've written together and, and enjoy reading it. It's a, it's a great reflection on what it is to give a life that you're going to do what God has gifted you to do in a way that honors God, in a way that blesses people. Uh, these are God-fearing people and, and their book is not just a tale of how Fixer Upper came to be. And by the way, if you kind of need to read something that kind of inspires you. Yes, I can build small and go to something bigger. It's a great book for that, but it's also a great book in reflecting on how Christian faith shapes and changes us. And so I recommend it to you. But what is that vehicle? That vehicle where they have that they have perfected about the power and the after. You know that vehicle, don't you? The big reveal, right? And and Apparently, HGTV knows about this as well because they do about five commercials. They lead you up to it, and then they go to commercial. And then they go backwards and lead you up to it again, and they go to commercial. And then they go back again, and then they do one more kind of, and here we are, and stay tuned. And then they'll run about five commercials, and then we finally get to it. And you know the big reveal because it's not just about what the house looked like before and what it they pull the two screens apart and you get to see what it looks like afterward but what's the really big part of the process watching the lady cry right and that I think they may do auditions when you know they say now what house project do you want to do and say now we want to see you act surprised and excited about something and if you don't just I remember there one lady started beating on her husband's arm. I thought, good night, woman. <laughs> I'd hate to see you angry. But they have perfected that idea. For us, our baptism with Christ is the big reveal. Before Paul can move on with the after picture, and, and I want to go on and just ask your forgiveness. Doing chapter 7 and chapter 8 in one sermon was more than I could bite off and chew and do it well. But as you read, and you've got your Bibles open to chapter 7, you're going to be able this week to read chapter 7 and then go to the big reveal in chapter 8. Because our baptism in Christ, which Paul refers to directly in chapter 6 and says, we are joining Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. Amen? And we do that, that faithful step of joining Him is expressed in the waters of baptism. The baptism is our big reveal where we move from being the old person that is dead in sin to the new person that is alive in the Spirit. Amen? 
and so it is. And I, you know, just have to paint a quick picture for you. Garrett came up out of those waters, and it was really cool to see his smile. Especially cool to see his smile when we both realized that he went under with his glasses on. <laughs> Did we need to redeem the glasses? Is that what we needed to do? I'm not sure exactly what it was. But, but did you see the heavens open? Did you hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant? Did you hear God say, this is my child whom I love? Did you hear him say that? If you didn't hear him, it's because he has to say that extra loud. Because the heavens, like those that couple that sits in front of the big reveal, the heavens are opening up and wow, I can't believe it. And there are people crying. There are relatives of yours that went on before you who, who are already waiting for you to come and they're celebrating. Yeah! He was part of the family, now he's part of the family. And God has to say, this is my child whom I love, extra loud because the chorus of sound is going on. Amen and amen. The central question that Paul is trying to ask in chapter 7 is summarized like this. Is the law sin? Now we've talked about the different ways that law uh, can be defined, but I think particularly we have to look here not only at the idea of law keeping, okay, which has been one of the definitions when Paul talks about the law, that is to say that we think we can make ourselves righteous because we follow all the laws, but here we particularly point towards the law being a summary for the entire gift of the Old Testament. And that is to say particularly we could go to the Ten Commandments. And we had people that saw this revelation from God, and I'm going I'm to point a little bit more to this a little bit later, but they saw that as, as this is the answer to all the questions for the Pharisees. This is the answer. In fact, this is so much the answer, we're going to take what it says and begin to uh, exegete it and explain it in so many ways that you don't even lift a finger without knowing whether that is in keeping with the law or against the law. The Pharisees would walk down the street. A wealthy Pharisee would have servants to go before him to push people out of the way for fear that somehow or another they would break one of the commandments because of the, just the regular people that they were bumping into on a constant basis. The idea of the gift of God of his word, the gift of God of the revelation of who he is and the way that that is expressed in the commandments that he gives and the calling that he has on Israel's life particularly, but understand that those callings are for all mankind who would choose to seek God. And as Paul has made the powerful argument that we have gone over week after week, shall I go on sinning so that grace may, may increase? This is almost the antiphonal question. So if it's not about keeping the law, then is law itself sin? He asked this question with the perspective of, I'm going to summarize three groups that he is kind of speaking to, if I can, very quickly. First of all, a group that asks, is the law sin? Since you're pointing to something new, since you say that the law is the before picture, since you're pointing us to something new, there's a group of people that we might call the Jews. 
In reality, these aren't just people who were born into the Jewish faith or circumcised on the eighth day as a Jew, but these would be the same, also people who had chosen to follow the law, who had found the law, they would be called God-fearers or possibly even proselytes, who would follow the law of God and saw that as the way of pleasing God. These Jews, will call them, who still cling to the law or, again, law-keeping as a path to righteousness. He's speaking to them as he did earlier, as he did in chapter 3, and saying, yes, you have the law, and yes, the, Lord, the law is intended to be a revelation of who God is, but have you yet discovered that the more the law points towards what God wants us to do, the more we realize that we can't live up to who God is all by ourselves. Has anybody ever been in that boat? Has anybody ever been in that boat where you, where you somehow or another have developed the idea that to, to be God's person, to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength is about digging into the Bible so that I can find one more rule that I can try to implement in my life, but really, you know what it turns into more, than, more times than not? It becomes one more rule that I'm going to point at you and say, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you, why aren't you? Because the realization is... The more I stack up rules to live by, the more I can't complete the rules. Amen? And there were a group of people who, even though they had responded to the gospel of Jesus, of course, I know that there are Jews who are resisting the idea that Jesus is the Son of God. And I don't think Paul is talking to those people at this point. He's talking to them earlier in the book, particularly chapter 4. He's going to talk to them again in chapters 9, 10, and 11. But right here, he's talking to people, whether they were born a Jew and now they've realized that Jesus is the Messiah and they've been baptized into him and a new life in him, or again, those people who had discovered the law as a, as a new focus for their life and they wanted to say, I can live it all just right. I'm just going to add Jesus to it. They are some of the ones who would be constantly accusing Paul Paul, the more you preach this grace, the more you're giving people permission to sin. And so that is one of the groups that thinks that they can achieve the righteousness of God that's being revealed by law-keeping. There's a second group that he's talking to. This isn't just a communication to Jews. This is a communication to educated Greeks Educated Greeks who maybe had become proselytes or God-fearers, but there were oftentimes educated Greeks who came into the church because they Paul, heard Paul's preaching. Paul goes to, uh, goes to Athens and speaks on Mars Hill and speaks in such a, to, the, to the ultimate intelligentsia, the, the educated group. And there were people who responded to that message. The educated Greeks were a different kind of lot than us. For the American way of life, and I don't know that when we, when we talk about the way that America has influenced the whole globe, I think in some ways it's the way that America has made chasing after dollars and financial success the purpose of life. I don't know if you see that on a regular basis, but I sure do. The fact that it wasn't enough just to have a news channel that pretty quickly you realized you needed a news channel that didn't do anything but talk about business and the stock market and what are you doing with your money when 
we start looking at all that spam email that comes into our inbox, I can guarantee you a whole lot of that is connected to, don't you want more money? Of course, the idea is what we've bought into, the idea that if I have more money, then I'll be happier. I won't have to worry about as many things. You need to understand that in in Paul's day and time, the pursuit of money was not the great be-all, end-all. Now, make no mistakes. You had a society that was very divided. You had people who were established and had family money and property. And and they, for the most part, weren't going to lose that. You also had a group of people who were uh, lived on the other end of that, very little middle class. People who worked basically one, one meal to the next meal, or possibly we could look at it more as one season to the next season. One season of plenty to the next season of plenty. And so I realize that I'm not necessarily talking about the Greek who lived in that, in that lower socioeconomic area. But for an educated Greek person, and again, what's changed in our society is the, the, those who have an education and those who are no longer living hand to mouth, one pro- prosperous season to the next prosperous season, it seems that what we've made the focus of the development of our life, the higher life, the greater calling, is how can I make a little bit more money? For these people, that idea of a higher and greater life was about the idea of finding meaning by harnessing something they called the passions. They saw themselves as wanting to live a life that was more filled with something they would call spiritual kinds of things. That is to say, things that are of the mind in its purity of thought, the heart in its purity. But instead, they recognized over and over again that there were these things that they called the passions, that they connected with the lusts of the flesh, and said, I can't get away from those. I've got to find a way to meditate myself. I've got to find a way to read philosophy such that I put that behind me. And what's interesting is there was a prophet named Isaiah. And his writings became very popular from about 600 years before Jesus and continued in popularity until this time. There were people who read Isaiah that had no care for the rest of the Bible, but they saw in Isaiah the idea that there was some way to live a higher and better life, to leave behind the violence of this world, to leave behind the prospect simply that the powerful will always get their way, but there will be a day when the meek will shine. For these people, the Old Testament held out a light in a beacon to say, wow, there's a group of people who've put their lusts and passions behind them. Let's learn more about them. They didn't necessarily say, I want to learn about their God, because they simply saw it as one philosophy to be compared to Platonic, Aristotelian philosophy. It became a goal in life to find this way to harness the passions. And yet, Paul, who not only was educated as a Jew with the law of God, but he was educated in Greek thought and philosophy. And he knew these people that had said, let's put those passions to rest. And what he knew about them is that the harder you tried, the harder it became when all you did was fight the fight with the idea that your brain can overcome what your body was doing. 
a third group that he's speaking to is the group that kind of spoke this larger idea. And again, this is a very Hellenistic kind of thought that we can separate the sinful body from the spiritual mind. That somehow or another, just because the body does things that, that head towards sin, I can keep my mind pure. And by the way, this is one of the ways that the Greek philosophy would say, you don't have to worry about the passions because the passions are just going to do their thing. Just make your mind as pure as possible. And Paul confronts this and said, when sin enters the body, it sinner, sin enters into the whole of us. Amen? And so it is that Paul speaks into this group of people. And he says to them what they already know. Again, the question comes to the forefront. So is the law sin? And just like his answer to the primary objection, shall we go on sinning, Paul's answer to this objection is by no means or absolutely not. Or however it is that you say absolutely no way whatsoever, however you express that in your vernacular, I simply would tell you that the, the Greek here, Paul's probably saying it more intensely than you are. He wants to say that that can't even exist in the same realm with truth. With that background, I want to read from chapter 7. Before the passage, the central passage that you're probably most familiar with that Caden read, and then a few verses after it. I'm reading from the message, and I have to admit, when you, when you stack up the number of words, Eugene Peterson is actually adding lots of words. But I think the way he adds these works, words up help us point and see those opponents that Paul is addressing from that question but also maybe see how this is not intended to be a passion that haunts us, but is merely the painting of a picture of what was before or what existed without what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Read with me. Starting in verse 4. So my friends, this is something like what has taken place with you. When Christ died, he took that entire rule-dominated way of life down with him. And left it in the tomb, leaving you free, and again he's referring to last week's passage, to marry God, a resurrection life and bear offspring of faith for God. For as long as we lived in that old way of life, doing whatever we felt we could, away, could get away with, sin was calling most of the shots as the old law code hemmed us in. And this has made us all the more rebellious. In the end, all we had to show for it was miscarriage and stillbirths. It would never produce a new life. But now that we're no longer shackled to that dominating mate of sin and out from under all those oppressive regulations and fine print, we're free to live a new life in the freedom of God. Somebody say amen. But I hear you say, if the law code was a, as bad as all that, it's no better than sin itself. That's certainly not true. The law code has a perfectly legitimate function. Without its clear guidelines for right and wrong, moral behavior would mostly be guesswork. Apart from the succinct surgical command, you shall not covet, I could have dressed covetousness up to look like a virtue. And ruined my life with it. Don't you remember how it was? I do. 
perfectly well. The law code started out as an excellent piece of work. What happened was, though, was that sin found a way to pervert the command into a temptation, making a piece of forbidden fruit out of it. The law code, instead of being used to guide me, was used to seduce me. Without all the paraphernalia of the law code, sin looked pretty dull and lifeless. And I went along without paying much attention to it. But once sin got its hand on the law code and decked itself out in all that finery, I was fooled and I fell for it. The very command that was supposed to guide me into life was cleverly used to trip me up, throwing me headlong. So sin was plenty alive and I was stone dead. But the law code itself is God's good and common sense, each command, sane and holy counsel. I can already hear your next question. Does that mean I can't even trust what is good? That is the law? Is good just as dangerous as evil? No, again. Sin simply did not did what sin is so famous for doing. Using the good as cover to tempt me. To do what would finally destroy me. By hiding within God's good commandment, sin did far more mischief than it could have ever accomplished on its own. I'm going to skip down to verse 21. It happens so regularly that it's predictable. The moment I decide to do good, sin's there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me covertly rebel, and just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything, and nothing helps. I'm at the end of the, my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question and the response? Can you say these words with me? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. For Paul, if I could summarize the entire chapter, he would say to us, the law is not the problem. What is the problem? Sin. The law is not the problem. But in the same breath, he has to say, the law is also not the answer. For Paul, he uses this, this rhetoric of the first person. It's a way of putting himself in there. And I think sometimes we've confused this as Paul, the man filled with the Spirit, the apostle who met Jesus on the road to Damascus, was baptized and the Spirit took him and made him into this great apostle. We somehow or another take that person who's writing Romans and say, he still must be struggling with sin being alive in him. But the truth is that this is a rhetorical element. And the idea that he puts himself in the shoes of his readers, or at least in the shoes of his opponents. And so the first person is about saying, I identify with you. It's just like the lady on the commercial who steps up and says, look at all my dirty laundry until I discovered Tide or whatever brand that you like. Yes, she really doesn't have any dirty laundry and you can kind of tell by the way she looks on the commercial. But she wants you to identify with her. Paul wants us to identify with him. His summation is, again, that the law is not the problem, but neither is the law the answer. 
The answer that Paul will reveal is that sin must be put to death. And that is not something we can accomplish on our own. We need God through Christ to accomplish that death. And that in putting sin to death, we need God to also bring us to new life. Amen? We celebrate God's good news. The good news that the law is not the answer for us. Amen? The answer for us is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ will take the law and make it something that we can respond to. He will take the word of God, particularly the Old Testament, and fill it in with his light and say, I need you to understand who God is. It's interesting to me that Jesus, when Jesus asked, what's the greatest commandment? It's not don't, 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 don't. What is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I heard somebody say one time, if we would sort of focus more on doing the things that Jesus told us to do, oftentimes the don't would take care of themselves. The things that break the world are about the things that we say, I'm not going to love the Lord with all my heart. I'm going to put myself in the center of the picture. I'm going to put my own pleasures, desires, and power in the center of the picture. Whereas when we put loving God with all our heart, soul, and mind and strength, we begin to repair the brokenness of the world. And if, just like Jesus said, if we take and recognize that loving God means that I want to love my neighbor, it's interesting how murder kind of goes away, how theft kind of goes away, how the things that we do in our marriages to break them away because we want to love that person as God loves them not as an object to meet our needs Jesus brought life even to the Old Testament because it would then inform us not rules to keep but inform us of the God who sent Jesus to save us amen Our process closes with this statement. Who will rescue me from sin? I would like to think that that question only occurs to people who have not given their life to Christ in baptism, but in my 58 years, I've discovered that sometimes I have to ask that question. Who will rescue me from what continues to entangle me? And the answer always is. The answer is never about how good I can be. The answer is always about how good God is. And how faithful Jesus is. That is how we are rescued from sin. If there is anything that you need to do to respond to that good news, that message that you're not going to ever get it done by yourself, but you will absolutely win the battle with Jesus on your side. If we can help you in any of that process, we would ask you to, to come forward during this song, to seek out friends in this assembly who you could speak to. We would invite you to respond with a message on 979-217-3300. If you want to send that question out to us, I guarantee you somebody will respond. We want to enter into that conversation with you. But most of all, what we want to do 
is point you to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever been stuck in that place where a friend asks you, I, I guess all this stuff is wrong with me, and, and you, you're, you're racking your brain. What's the right answer? What's the right answer? Say this, something like this. I can't unravel all of this, but I know that my life has changed because I've asked Jesus into my life. Now, I don't know how that helps you particularly, but I can guarantee you the answer we'll finally come to is Jesus. Do you need Jesus to answer those ultimate questions, particularly the question, who will rescue me from sin? Who will rescue our world from brokenness? And the answer over and over and over again is Jesus. Won't you stand as we sing? I need thee every hour, most precious Lord. No tender voice like thine can be for our Lord's Supper, and uh, please do so as we sing this song, prepare our minds. In Christ alone, my hope is found, He is my light, my strength, my song, this cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought.
right before Jesus was crucified on the cross, uh, he promised us, me and you, uh, that he would send his spirit to us to live in us. And uh, in fact, in Galatians 4, 6, he says, because we are children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. Now, if you think about that, you know, what does that mean? And, and uh, it, is, it is hard to comprehend, I'll admit. Uh, but uh, also in reading Romans 7, uh, what Alan just talked about, talks about struggling with sin. Uh, and I thought about what, what would it be like uh, if we did not have God's spirit living in us? Would it make a difference? How, how, how would it affect us? And, uh, you know, how, how would we fight the battles that we fight? How would we struggle with sin? I guess when I was younger, I, I didn't think about it that much. Uh, and uh, as I've grown older, I, become, I, I started learning more about how the Spirit works in our lives. And uh, it's... It, it's a, it's a good question, I think, to think about how the Spirit uh, guides us, how he comforts us, gives us peace, uh, how he empowers us, uh, how he produces fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Uh, and I think that's a, a good thing to think about as we study this section in Romans, especially when you contrast, I mean, Paul contrasts the life without the Spirit in Romans 7 and life with the Spirit in Romans 8. In fact, Romans 8 is the most concentrated part of the New Testament that discusses life in the Spirit. So uh, as we thank God for sending his Son to die on the cross for us, let's also thank God for his Spirit that he sent to live in our hearts. Will you pray with me? Our Father, we, as we look upon the bread that we are about to uh, eat, Father, we, we thank you so much for sending your Son to sacrifice his body on the cross. And Father, we, we're thankful that Jesus asked you to send his Spirit to us, and we're thankful that you did. We're thankful that we have his spirit to live in us. And Father, uh, we just thank you for the love that you've had for us and still continue to have. It's everlasting. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Let's pray for the fruit of the vine. Our Father, the fact that Jesus died for us and what has made all the difference is the blood that he shed for us. This has allowed us to have a hope of everlasting life, to have forgiveness of our sins. 
Father, we're so thankful for that, and at this time we take this uh, cup. We want to think back on that great gift in Jesus' name. Amen. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. At this time, we want to, one, thank you for the contributions that you've made to our ministries here. I want to encourage you, if you haven't done so, to attend uh, Bible classes. Uh, We've been talking about uh, opening doors to ministry and talk about how the funds are used here at the church. But let's, uh, let's give thanks for the offering. Father, we want to thank you for, for blessing us so much, uh, not only materially, but spiritually. The many blessings that you shower on us. And Father, we ask that uh, you bless us, or bless the use of these funds as we Pass them on to bless others and just uh, guide us as we go about using these funds to, to reach out into our uh, community and reach out into the world. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good, Mike. Okay. Morning, church. All right. So just a quick reminder. So today is our last day to submit submit your ballot for our elder nominees. Uh, we do have a few copies left over in the Welcome Center. There's also a drop box for you to put those. Uh, if we run out of copies, you can always get one from the church website. You can email it to us. Our email is up there, 2021ljcc at gmail.com. Uh, If you don't want to do that, you can just simply type out the nominees' names and just say yes or no. Just a reminder, if you leave, uh, if you don't vote yes or no, if you leave it blank, that's considered a no vote. So just make sure yes or no. Uh, Next slide, please. Uh, So again, today is the last day for the affirmation process. We'll count up those votes this evening. Uh, We'll notify the nominees. We'll notify our sitting elders. And we'll move forward next Sunday with our uh, installation process. So if you have any questions, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to anybody that's up on the screen, uh, part of the elder discernment team. We're all in the instant church directory. Uh, if you can't get a hold of us, you know, just reach out as best you can, and, and we'll uh, respond to any, any help, any questions you have. Thank you. Good morning, I'd like to thank everyone for your attendance here. It's looking, looking great. Parking lot's looking full. This is great. I appreciate everyone still joining us online. Thank you very much for that. Um, also, as the elders like to express always our uh, ex- uh, thankfulness for your continued financial support. Thank you very much. Uh, some of the uh, ministries on Sunday mornings at 930, we've been talking about how some of these funds are being used and some of the good that's being done through them and some of the uh, the great work, so we certainly do appreciate that. 
Uh, be sure in the life groups are continuing. We had a presentation on that this morning. Thank you, Mark. Uh, really enjoyed your passion uh, uh, for that. And so if there's a, uh, if that inspired you to organize a group or to join one, we'll, uh, please let us know. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about uh, fellowship slash hospitality and also family matters. Uh, and uh, be sure and check your caring and sharing. There are uh, lots of information in here. You can get it a paper one. You can get it online. I would like to draw your attention to one thing here. Uh, starting a new ministry called Angels Deliver. If you need help getting to a doctor's appointment, you can contact Arlene. Uh, her number is here, but also we need volunteers to drive. She's not going to drive everybody to every appointment. So she needs some volunteers. If you're willing to drive someone to a doctor's appointment or to any other thing that they may need transportation for, uh, be sure and contact Arlene for that. Uh, and uh, would like to, I noticed that our... Uh, Whatever it is up there is lit up. Uh, it's uh, been dark for a while. I'm not 100% sure who did that, but I have a pretty good idea that it was Ronnie and Frank. And I'll tell you, changing the light bulb in that thing is not easy. So many thanks to them or whoever else helped them. I appreciate it, but it's really uh, nice to see that uh, again. Immediately following service, about five minutes after the service, we will have our annual business meeting. We will stream it live. So if you're at home, you can join in on this. Uh, there will be a couple of items to vote on. If you're at home, you will be able to vote uh, by text. So uh, if you don't want to be a part of that meeting, you need to take your visiting to the foyer or outside. Don't end your visiting. Just move it because if you're in here in about five minutes after services, you will be part of the meeting. And you may get nominated for something. So <laughs> no, no, we already have our nominees. Don't let that scare you. So uh, I'd like to welcome our guests once again. And if you would, join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we just want to come before you this morning and just praise and honor and glorify your name and just uh, thank you for the wonderful things you've done. You've created the world. You have uh, given us everything we need, and yet we still turned our backs upon you. And in spite of that, you gave us Jesus that we need it most of all. And Lord, I just want to thank you for your word, for uh, Alan for bringing it to us this morning, and just, uh, Lord, just thank you for that. Just thank you for loving us. Just let us be your light in this community. Let us... Uh, show the love of Jesus. Let us show the forgiveness of Jesus. Let us be willing to love, to forgive. Uh, let us not judge harshly, Lord, but let us just show your love and your forgiveness. It's those things you ask in your son's name. Amen. Let's all be standing for our closing song. There is beyond the edge of blue. 